everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Podcast by Committee, the show where we basically bother our beat writers for a bunch of fantasy information for 40 minutes. And today, we have uh, the man who's covering one of the most exciting teams, I think, uh, in the NFL this season. I think everyone thinks this. If you just slap exciting with a capital E on there, um, and maybe a capital everything else. Scott Bordeaux, you can follow him on Twitter at S-B-O-R-D-O-W. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to, uh, to talk with us here. Glad to do it, Nando. Uh, so first and foremost, I, I think we have to ask you this question because um, I know that several months ago you wrote a very fantasy-friendly David Johnson article. Um, are you fan? Are you fantasy guy, or are you, are you, are you kind of a do you play? I am a market? fantasy guy. In fact, I just found out I have the number one pick in my draft coming up. It's not a keeper league, so the world is open to me. Are you leaning anywhere yet? Well, it's a quarterback-driven league, so I think Patty Mahomes is probably going to be my number one pick. Really? Is it two quarterbacks, or do they just have crazy scoring? It, uh, yeah, it's it, you get extra, you get bonus points, like six bonus points for any touchdown pass over thirty yards, and this the numbers the way they do it favor the quarterbacks, and so this league, unlike a lot of other leagues where running backs are drafted, quarterbacks go really early, and I can't, you know, with Pat Mahomes and and Tyree Kill and all those guys, I can't imagine picking anybody else at number one. I guess you're, yeah, I suppose you're right. Um, yeah, when you have, I mean, even if he doesn't throw fifty touchdowns, if he throws for forty, that's still a really good year. Yeah, right. Right. Um, and you know what? It's it's so let me let me relate that to Arizona. Let me segue that because uh last year Patrick Mahomes was a late, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth round pick. Um, and this year that kind of belongs to Kyler Murray. Yeah. And I I mean, is that is, are people who are saying like Kyler Murray is this year's Pat Mahomes, um, is that is that an unfair comparison or is that like a seventy percent kind of accurate comparison? How does oh, it, how does I that did. play out from what you've seen so far? It's unfair, and that's not a knock against Kyler Murray. It's more of a, a practical assessment of the Cardinals as a football team compared to the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs had a really good football team around Pat, Patrick Mahomes, a ton of weapons, and the Cardinals really don't. I mean, they, they do have Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk, but beyond that in the wide receiver room, it's really a bunch of unproven guys. You have two proven receivers, and you do have David Johnson in the backfield, but he's coming off two injury-plagued seasons. So, um, look, it's a great system in terms of fantasy if you want a quarterback. Kyler Murray is going to pick up some rushing yards. So I can understand why people would be excited about him fantasy wise, but I wouldn't put him in the same class as what Patrick Mahomes did last season. I did, you know, I think the offensive line has so many question marks and Kansas City had a strong offensive line that I think that could nullify some of what Kyler Murray does. So I, I really think it's unfair to, to put him in the same class as Patrick Mahomes. Fair enough. Uh, is, is it fair to say that maybe he'll at least out earn uh, his, his draft position is ADP? Or uh, you know, you know surprise. I don't know if I don't know if you could say like Kyler Murray is going to surprise people because over the last few years, you know, Baker Mayfield's lived up to the hype. All you know, these these number one first round draft picks. I, I guess with the maybe the exception of Josh Rosen and you know Sam Darnold to a degree, but even him, he's he's getting some some nice preseason raves from some people who believe. Um, but maybe out earn expectations. All, all the all the issues you've named, people are kind of aware of. Um, do you think he'll just kind of maybe? move beyond that a little bit and just be better than people think, even if it's slightly better? Yeah, I, I, obviously it depends on where he's drafted. I mean, if, if you get Kyler Murray in the fifth or sixth round in your draft, I think there's a very good chance he'll exceed expectations. I, I can see Kyler Murray throwing for, you know, 300 plus yards a game. I can see him throwing for, you know, 30 something touchdowns and, and rushing for 700, 800 yards. Those are great fantasy numbers for a quarterback. But I also think he's going to throw a good number of interceptions, which is going to nullify some of his points. But if, if you can get Kyler Murray in the middle rounds as either, you know, your starting quarterback as your backup quarterback, and um, I, I think he's an exceed expectations because look, the offense is tailor made for him. 
They're going to throw the ball an awful lot. I know Cliff Kingsbury said, you know, they're going to focus on David Johnson. That may be true, but David's also going to be a receiver out of the backfield. You know, I think this is an offense that's going to throw the ball at least 40 times a game. And Kyler Murray has great arm talent. Those two things, I think, lets him exceed expectations. Uh, so you brought up Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff, how many times have you almost said Cliff Kingsbury? Is that is that a problem? I actually around have not. Surprisingly, now that you've said it, though, I'll probably say it every time. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. The uh, the Kingsbury offense has been just. I mean, like that's like a control V for a fantasy writer right now. Um, is is there? I mean, I guess people have an idea of what it is, and I, I read a lot of stuff that you wrote in the in the preseason and a little bit of the off season um, about what you think it's going to look like, even though they've kind of shrouded it in secrecy. Um, can we get into that just a little bit? It's, it's, I know you wrote like the 10 personnel, the four wide receivers, no tight end, one running back. That's going to be a staple of the offense. They're going to mix it up with, with different numbered wideouts and stuff. But before we get into, you know, can it be effective and can it work in the NFL? Can you just give us like a, just a big picture of what it's going to actually look like on the field when you're watching it on TV? Yeah, I mean, Cliff has said he's going to adjust his attack for the NFL, but, you know, I really think it's going to look a lot like what he did at Texas Tech. I mean, you didn't hire Cliff Kingsbury and to put the team in I formation and run the ball 35 times a game. You hired him because of what he did Texas Tech as an offensive head coach, despite the record, losing record in college. I think you're going to see them line up in a lot of four wide, you know, to, as I said, 10 personnel alignments with four wide receivers, no tight end, one running back. I think that's really going to be the staple of their attack. You also see some three wideouts. You're going to see some five wideout formations. We've seen that in training camp so far when they've they've done empty backfield and five wideouts. This is going to be a wide open offense. They're going to try to get rid of the ball quickly um, within three seconds. A lot of easy throws for Kyler Murray to make quick throws. Yeah, but it's going to be wide open. I, I did a study of two Texas Tech games over the last two seasons at Kingsbury um, coach. And I think the four wide receiver said he used 54% of the time at Texas tech. I think the average NFL team used it maybe 8% of the time, if that. So that tells you how different this attack is going to be in Arizona. You know, other teams have used the air raid as, you know, part of their offense. This is the first coach and the first team that's going to use the air raid as the foundation of their offense. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the season, that four wide receiver set, the 10 personnel has been used on a majority of their snaps. And that's never happened in the NFL before. This is cra- And I mean, this is crazy to me like that, that um, so it's, I, I guess like a, it's the only one and B it's maybe taken this long to, to bring it to the NFL, but just like, just like the, the chip Kelly kind of it wasn't really a disaster, but the mess that Chip Kelly kind of made. Did that give people reservations? Is, is there, I mean, can you just tell people like who are like, oh, this is Chip Kelly all over again, why it won't be Chip Kelly all over again? Well, I mean, I, I think what happened with Chip Kelly is he got his quarterbacks killed. Um, and th- and that's the danger of what Cliff Kingsbury is doing. If you're going to line up four wide, um, you're basically having your, you have five blockers in and that's it. And the, his idea is if we get rid of the ball quickly enough, the pass rush won't matter. Um, and New England does a lot of that. They'll line up with four wide, and Tom Brady gets rid of the ball really quickly, and it's worked out obviously really well for them. But that's New England, that's Tom Brady. The danger of this offense is you have a pretty weak offensive line and two tackles that have gotten hurt a lot in DJ Humphreys and Marcus Gilbert and backup tackles that really haven't proven they can play in the NFL yet. So you're going to put them on an island with some great pass rushers against edge rushers that a lot of times dominate games. And if you're not going to give them any help because you're lining up four wide, you may be asking for trouble for your starting quarterback. And, and that's going to be one of the storylines of the season. If they do go four wide a lot, can this offensive line hold up and give Kyler Murray time to throw? I, I would expect, I think, 
to see a lot of teams play man-to-man press coverage against the Cardinals, try to disrupt the routes and think, all right, if you're only going to block with five, if we make you hold on to the ball for a second and a half more than you're accustomed to, our rushers are going to beat your blockers and get to Kyler Murray. I think that's what we're going to see this season. It'll be really interesting if the Cardinals can handle that. You know what I noticed that you mentioned a couple times in, in your articles, um, and I, I, would, I would you know translate this as you kind of stressing this, Kyler Murray wasn't hit hard. Like in, in Oklahoma, he wasn't hit. He hasn't been hit in the preseason. Um, I, I, is there going to be some kind of like, like a learning curve or a, or a shock to his system when he inevitably gets hit hard a couple times when things don't go his way? Yeah, well, the question will be, you know, just can his body, you know, withstand the punishment? You know, I know everybody says he weighed in at 204 pounds, but look, he's small. He's 5'10 and three quarters, whatever it is, and 204 pounds. That's really small for an NFL quarterback. And people forget, and I think not enough people are making enough about this. He played behind the best offensive line in college football last year at Oklahoma. Four linemen were drafted. The fifth will probably be a first-round pick this year. He had better talent than almost every team he played, with the obvious exception of Alabama. Um, he rarely got hit, rarely got pressured, rarely got touched. And he usually was one of the fastest guys in the field. So when he did have to scramble out of the pocket, he was able just to beat everybody to the sidelines. That's not the case in the NFL. The Cardinals are not going to have superior talent to most teams. He's not playing behind the NFL's best offensive line. And if he does get out in the open, there will be guys in the NFL who can chase him down. So he is going to get hit. It's just inevitable. The question will be, can his body withstand the punishment? I, I think emotionally and mentally he'll be fine. He understands that's part of the game. But physically, can he absorb the hits he's going to take and stay healthy with that small frame? Is it, um, and I don't want to say, you know, if he gets hurt and even speculate on that, but, you know, Brett Hundley is his backup, um, similar kind of running quarterback. Is that the way the system is built? You have to have a running quarterback because they have to have the ability to scramble and get away from these rushers who are coming in because you don't have as much protection if you can't find your open guy. Is, is that how this is built? Like, you're not going to have like a, you know, pocket passer in the system. It's going to be a guy who can run. It's not so much a running quarterback, but guys who can throw on the run. They're going to use a lot of bootlegs and rollouts and get, you know, get their quarterbacks away from the pocket and throw in the run. And so you have to have a quarterback that's mobile. The danger about this system is that it's built so much around one guy. You know, if you have a team that can really run the ball well, if your starting quarterback gets hurt, your backup can probably come in for a few weeks and keep things afloat because you can rely on the running game. But this offense that's going to be so wide open is so dependent on Kyler Murray that if he goes down, nothing against Brett Hundley, but this team's done. And that's the danger yeah. of the system. When you build everything around one player and one player with a unique set of skills that can't be easily replicated, what do you do if that player gets hurt? Right. And so I thought the idea, look, just looking at that roster and seeing Brett Hundley, I would think, okay, well, you know, he's run before. He's got a significant running background in college when he was at UCLA and he did a little bit in the pros whenever he had the chance. So I maybe there's like a prototype, you know, how RG three is backing up Lamar Jackson and Baltimore's right. one of those things, but you know, it won't be the same thing, I guess. Right. And that's why they, they dumped Mike Glennon for, for Hundley because he's a more mobile quarterback. He fits better in their system, but let's be honest, he's not Kyler Murray. Um, right. And you know, everything they do is going to be based off Kyler Murray. And uh, again, I know, Every you know, I, I wrote this that if he gets hurt, they're they're dead. And people say, well, if every team's quarterback gets hurt, they're in trouble. That's not necessarily true. The Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl with the backup quarterback because they were able to run the ball and do a lot of different things offensively. This system is built around one player, the guy wearing the number one in his uniform, and nobody can duplicate that. 
Right, so um, I actually had a, b- a bunch of questions kind of nicely laid out, and we've, we've got destroyed that right now. But I kind of I, I want to get to Keyshawn Johnson. I want to get to him up top because you know you talk about the buzz of this camp. You you called him a surprise at the camp a few weeks ago, and I actually think that that turned into a Roto World update, which turned into a bunch of people buzzing about Keyshawn Johnson. <laughs> uh, so, so congratulations. Um, it, it, this was a couple weeks ago. It, a is he holding up? And B, like when you talk about having the four wideouts, five wideouts. It seems like everything I've read, you've kind of you make it seem like he's cemented as number three behind Fitzgerald and Kirk, um, which to me would be, you know, an 800 yard six or seven touchdown season. Yeah, no, there's no question he cemented that. He's played well throughout training camp, had a good first preseason game. I, I think he's really solidified himself as the number three wideout. He's a great route runner. They constantly praise his routes. He catches the ball really well. I, I think if they go four wide, he's going to be in the ball game 90% of the time in that formation. I think he is the number three wide. And I think those numbers you said are right. I can see him, you know, 700, 800 yards, six to eight touchdowns this year, which for a sixth round draft pick, you talk about exceeding expectations, that would do it. You know, I want to combine that with a, Jerry. I read your article about Jerry Sullivan being there and Larry Fitzgerald saying he's like the greatest guy he's ever worked with. Um, and, you know, it's, it's it, there was this great quote about how it's the footwork off the line. And he said something like, you know, if you're going on vacation, awesome. But if you can't start your car, you're not going anywhere. It doesn't matter where you're going. Right. And that was kind of the philosophy. What is Jerry Sullivan doing to, to someone like Keyshawn Johnson um, and helping him with his footwork off the line? When you, when you think about what Larry Fitzgerald learned from this guy and Larry Fitzgerald, late career Larry Fitzgerald, um, is he right. having a huge impact on, on some of these guys? There's no question because Jerry's all about technique. He knows every trick in the trade. He's been a wide receivers coach for more than 40 years. I think the last 27 or so in the NFL. I mean, he's really big on all the little things you do to get get open. And Larry Fitzgerald was just telling me, and he showed me actually, he lined me up across from him as a defensive back when I was doing the interview. And he talked about how the angle of his foot when he takes that first step off the line can make the difference between having a defender draped over him when he makes the catch and not being able to, you know, get yards after catch or being able to get separation from the defender and turn a a 10 yard gain into a 17 yard gain. And I think he's doing that for Keyshawn Johnson and and all the other younger receivers. They're learning technique and the little things that they maybe haven't learned for a long time. Christian Kirk told me he's learned more from Jerry Sullivan in three months than he's ever learned before in his life about the wide receiver position. And that it would take too long for him to tell me everything he's learned from Jerry. So I think he's going to have a huge impact on that room. And the good thing for the Cardinals, this contract was going to be up at the end of training camp, but they convinced him to stay on through the season. So he'll be here the whole year. Oh, that's awesome. I actually read that when you said I was going to bring that up about he's, he's done training camp, but that's, that's awesome. And I guess combining what you said before and what you just said there, like getting off the line quickly and creating separation quickly is going to be a key to this offense. So Jerry Sullivan might be one of the most important people with the Arizona Cardinals this year in a way. Oh, there's no question. And, and it's a really good working relationship relationship with their main wide receivers coach, David Rye. He has no problem with Jerry being there. He loves being able to learn from, from Jerry. Um, so they have a really good relationship. And the, and the big thing is Larry Fitzgerald is still willing to learn at this point of his career from Jerry Sullivan. So if Larry Fitzgerald is willing to learn and listen, there's not a single wide receiver, a young wide receiver in that room that can say, oh, this old man can't teach me anything. If Larry's learning, they're all learning. That's awesome. Uh, I guess we might as well just go right to Larry Fitzgerald here. Um, you know, I, I think he gets the stigma that he's old. And I guess for like, and you know, as a fantasy player, like the last few years, it's kind of been like, all right, well, you know, Larry Fitzgerald uh, is going to fall off this year because this is the year that he's old and it hasn't happened. Right. And he's done. He's had these great seasons with these kind of 
I don't want to say subpar quarterbacks, but you know, they guys get hurt and, you know, Carson Palmer's backup was always a different dude thrown to Larry Fitzgerald and he would still produce. And now he's in like this crazy offense that you would think would just like boost his numbers. And maybe it's just a psychological thing of like, you know, teaching an old dog, new tricks, but um, is Larry Fitzgerald going to just like super thrive in this offense? Is this going to be like add 20% to whatever you thought Larry Fitzgerald was going to do anyway? Yeah, I mean, there are always just the danger that an older player, especially at a skill position, that his body will just one year kind of give out and he won't be the same player. And sometimes that happens real quickly. I don't think that's going to happen with Larry this year. You know, I've written this. I, I can see him getting 1,000 to 1,200 yards receiving, you know, somewhere around eight to 10 touchdowns. I mean, he's going to be their number one receiver, I think, in terms of probably, uh, you know, targets, um, either him or Christian Kirk. And they're going to throw the ball a lot. So assuming Larry stays healthy. I still think he's on the top of his game. He, look, he's not going deep anymore. He's not going to catch a lot of 40-yard passes. He's, he's going to basically become a possession receiver. But if he gets, you know, 8 to 10 to 12 targets a game, he's going to put up some numbers. Is he Is he going to be the – I mean, not the number two, but when the season's over, is he going to have, like, the second-best fantasy stats behind Christian Kirk? Like, is he just a better fit for this offense? Well, the issue is that Cardinals have a lot of slot receivers. They don't have a lot of outside receivers. Larry is a slot receiver at this point in his career. Christian Kirk is sort of a slot receiver. They're going to put him outside at, at some points, but he's more of a slot guy. I think Christian's going to wind up being the number one receiver. But honestly, in this system, I can see both Christian and Larry having around 1,000 yards when the season is over because, one, the system just says they're going to throw the ball a lot. Two, I don't think their defense is going to be really good. Any good, especially with some of the things that have happened recently. And then three, I think they're going to be behind in a lot of games. So they're going to have to throw the ball even more. And I think those those three factors make your two top two receivers to have pretty good numbers by the end of the year. This, this is crazy when you think about it, right? Like, this is going to be an awesome offense that's also going to be from behind and throwing a lot. So yeah, just like a, like a crazy focused offense, but also throw in that factor that even like some of the crappy offenses, they still rack up things late when they're when they're trying to throw the ball late. Right. And that's why fantasy is so different from the real world. You know, in the real world, this this is, a, you know, this might be an offense that leads to a four and 12 or five and 11 record. But in fantasy, it might be a great offense because if you're behind 38 to 17, you're throwing the ball all over the yard in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, I, I can see them putting up a lot of meaningless numbers in terms of the win loss record, but a lot of meaningful numbers when it comes to fantasy. Um, is it safe to assume that Charles Clay, Ricky Seals Jones, they've had some success before, but the, I mean, the way you explained it, there's no tight end anywhere in here, right? Yeah, I wouldn't be drafting a Cardinals tight end for fantasy purposes. I right. mean, Charles Clay will p play some and he can be a weapon, but he won't be on the field more than, you know, probably 35 to 40% of the time. And, and at some point it might be Max Williams as a run blocker. So if you're drafting a Cardinals tight end, it better be very, very, very late in your draft. Man, that sucks. Well, it doesn't suck, but I mean, you know, like Ricky Seals Jones was so close a couple of years ago to being, you know, fantasy relevant. He had a couple of big games. Um, is there a shot Ricky Seals Jones because there's like a wide receiver -y kind of tight end or no? No, I mean, and the problem with Ricky Seals Jones, he has the physical skills, but he's not a great ball catcher. He drops too many passes. He's too inconsistent. And again, in this offense, I just don't know how much he would play. I, you know, I would be shocked if Ricky Seals Jones has more than 30 catches by the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, how about Andy Isabella? I know people were high on him, and I think it was actually you when we did the, the beat writer roundup right after the draft or, or very early in the preseason. Um, but he's what he was hurt a little bit, and he's just not, he's not really shining in, in camp so far. 
Well, he was hurt for about a week and a half. He was out with a minor knee injury, and that and, and that sent him back. He has looked better the last you know two or three days in camp, showing some of that explosiveness in and out of cuts that made the Cardinals love him so much. So I think he's getting back to where he was. But he, honestly, he's been passed by Keyshawn Johnson. You know, before training camp, you would have thought that Andy Isabella probably would have been the number three receiver given his production in college and where he was drafted. But they've fallen in love so much with Keyshawn Johnson. I think Andy right now is the number four wideout, so it's really hard to predict his numbers. Um, he's going to get some playing time just because they're going to use four wide so often. But right now, I think he'd be the number four target. Well, when you talk about the four wide, too, um, I read in one of your, one of your myriad articles uh, that somewhere David Johnson might be one of those four wide. And then, you know, that would actually open up an opportunity for Chase Edmonds to get in the backfield. So it's, is it yeah, not I safe to assume? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I think, look, David Johnson is going to catch a lot of passes this year. I think he caught, what, 80 in 2016 when he was just absolutely a fantasy wonderkin, had more than 2,000 yards from the line of scrimmage. I think you could very much see that same kind of season from David Johnson. He's going to be their primary ball carrier, but they love his his ability as a pass catcher. I think you'll see him a lot in at lining up either in the slot or even wide. And honestly, I think when the season's done, he'll be one of the top three players on the team in terms of receptions. Um, so yeah, I think you're going to see some Chase Edmonds in the backfield and I'm really high on Chase. I don't know how many touches he's going to get, but he's had a great training camp. He's an explosive runner. He can make people miss. He would be one of those sleeper guys I would pick late in rounds just because of this offense. And just because of the fact David Johnson has been hurt a lot the last couple of years. And if he does get hurt again, you know, Chase Edmonds is all of a sudden going to be a very valuable fantasy player. Is Edmonds a, a good pass catcher too? I mean, if, if, if Johnson got hurt, would Edmonds kind of assume that role as maybe running out wide too? Yes, he's an all-purpose running back. He can catch the ball. He's a really good runner. Again, I'm not taking him in the first six or seven rounds, but if you're sitting there in the 10th or 11th round and you need a fourth running back and and given David Johnson's injury history, there are far worse choices than Chase Edmonds. How are you, uh, and this is just a fantasy question, but it involves David Johnson a little bit. You know, there's Ezekiel Elliott, there's Saquon Barkley, you know, there's the top guys. Uh, would you make an argument, having seen this this offense and how Johnson is being used in it, that maybe someone should consider David Johnson if they're going to take running back, go with David Johnson as the top running back this year? I think he should be one of the top five running backs selected. And, and that's because, one, this offense is going to use him the way Bruce Arians used him in 2016. We all remember what he did that season. I think, what was it, 2,100 all-purpose yards, 80 catches. I, I can't remember how many touchdowns he had that season, but – they're going to use him a lot just like they did then. So I, I can really make the case that he should be one of the top five running backs off the board. Again, you're worried about his injury history. Um, but last year really wasn't as much about injuries as it was. He was just playing in a really unimaginative offensive scheme behind one of the worst offensive lines in NFL history. Now you're playing the scheme that's tailor-made for him. I think he's going to have a monster fantasy season. I mean, you could say that about – you could really look at this roster straight up and down and just be like, this is going to be insane. Right, like this is gonna, they're going to be numbers all over the place here. Right, and that's what we talked about. They're going to be behind, I think, in so many games that you know they're going to have to throw the ball, and then just the system says they're going to throw the ball a lot. That's what Cliff Kingsbury does. He's not going to come in here and run it 35 times a game. That's just not happening. So in terms of fantasy perspective, this might be a really bad football team in terms of wins and losses, but in terms of fantasy, there are a lot of teams that aren't going to put up this kind of numbers the Cardinals are. Uh, Scott, I, I think uh, we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't go a little deep on the on the wide receiver front with a couple with a couple names that people remember from years past. Um, Michael Crabtree and Kevin White. Uh, in your your latest breakdown of the fifty three man roster, you left Kevin White off of that. 
Um, and Michael Crabtree, I think people just assume that he had signed because he worked, but he, he didn't. Um, so Crabtree's still kind of floating out there. And, and you kind of said that uh, you know, he wanted more money than the veteran minimum, which was still like $900,000. Um, and then Kevin White, I think people see him as having just a ton of talent, always injured. Um, and then just kind of after that, no one really knows what to expect. Obviously, if you put one of those guys into this offense, they'd be fantasy relevant. Uh, so could, can you just give us like a little background on what's going on with the two of them and, and what they might look like season's end? Yeah, let's start with Kevin White. I don't think he makes this team. I, I really don't. He he hasn't flashed a training camp and he's been hurt again. He's missed the last week or so. And, and Cliff Kingsbury has specifically mentioned his availability issues in the past. And whenever we've asked Cliff about Kevin White, he's been very tepid in his response. Talked about how he's in the mix with the young guys, but he needs to be in the field. I, I think there's maybe a 1% chance Kevin White makes the football team at this point. Uh, Michael Crabtree, they had a chance to sign him. They didn't. I don't know how much Michael was asking for. Could they go back to him? That's possible. But I think with Andy Isabella back, and they like Keyshawn Johnson so much, really, and you're going to use David Johnson out wide, what's Michael Crabtree's role in this football team? Um, They like what Trent Sherfield is, and he'll probably be the sixth wide receiver on their team. So you're going to bring Michael Crabtree in as your seventh wide out? That just doesn't make any sense. So I wouldn't think the Cardinals sign him at this point. Okay. Um, if you don't mind us going over to Tampa Bay for a second, because you've, you've been in Arizona forever, and I think you, you have an idea of what to expect from Bruce Arians, and you're a mm-hmm. fantasy guy. How are you approaching that running back situation there with Peyton Barber and, uh, and Ronald Jones? Do you, do you have any idea of insights from you know, knowing Bruce Arians' style, like what he's going to do there? No, I, the only insight I would give you is probably on Jameis Winston, and, and since Bruce Arians loves to throw the ball downfield. So Jameis Winston's going to do that a lot in Tampa Bay. You know, it's the old no risk it, no biscuit approach by Bruce Arian. So, you know, this is not going to be a dump the ball off five yards behind the line of scrimmage in Tampa Bay. He's going to go deep. So if you're a Mike Evans fantasy owner or, or maybe even Jameis Winston, I think they're going to put up some pretty good numbers this season. Is Jameis Winston going to be your backup? Yeah, I would think Jameis Winston would be a really good backup on, as, a, as a quarterback in fantasy. I think he'd be a very good backup. I, I, I suspect that sneakily he's going to have a pretty good fantasy season. Oh, nice. Uh, kind of a philosophical question for you here um, before we get into the, uh, the getting to know Scott section. Um, when, we, when we hear coaches talk, uh, especially in football, they lie a lot. There's a lot of obfuscation going on. And I know, you know, like Kingsbury has been putting things in, you know, shrouded in secrecy. Um, right. And I asked, I asked the same question to Greg Allman, too. Uh, like when Bruce Arians talks, can you believe him? Like, is he just one of those guys like, I don't care, I'll tell you. Um, have you gotten a feeling like is, is Kingsbury, if we just say David Johnson's hurt and, you know, Kingsbury's like, oh, he's fine. You know, he'll probably be able to play this week. And in reality, like, you know, he doesn't play for the next three weeks or, you know, we're going to do this or we're going to do this or that. Um, have you gotten, I guess just this is a long way of asking, is there a Kingsbury BS detector? Should you not? If I read a quote from him, should I not put any stock into this at all? Like, do you have any idea of how he's going to handle the media with things like that? Oh, yeah, because we've already seen. I don't think there's a BS detector because he doesn't tell us anything. (laughs) This whole thing is that we've joked that his two favorite words in the English language are we'll see. I mean, if you ask him anything about specific scheme, strategy, it's we'll see or we're going to find out or you're going to have to be there. He doesn't tell the media anything. I mean, he might say nice things about a player. But in terms of how much a player is going to be used, what they're going to do offensively, you're going to get nothing from him. So there's really no BS detector. He's just not going to tell us anything. Okay. I mean, I guess that's, is that less frustrating than him, you know, trying to figure out the truth? Yeah, I guess. I mean, well, I don't know if it's less or more frustrating. There are times we wish he'd be more, uh, you know, open to what, to what's going on, but 
yeah, I, it's probably less frustrating than a guy out and out lying to us. Um, it happens all the time. It never makes me mad that I've been in the business for 37 years. That's what coaches and GMs do, and I don't blame them for that. So maybe it's a bit refreshing that we just get a guy like Bill Belichick that doesn't tell us a dang thing. And and by the way, that's an all Bill Belichick thing about Cliff Kingsbury. Remember, he, he was a player in New England his first year in 2300 Belichick. And I talked to Cliff's dad when I did a big profile on him, and, and he said he's very much going to be like Bill Belichick with the media. He'll be cordial. And he'll be, you know, accommodating, but he won't say a damn thing. And that's exactly what's happened so far. That's that's smart. I guess that's smart. You know, you're not giving anything away. Um, it's it's smart. It's not good for us covering the football team. <laughs> right, exactly. And give, give me Mike Leach any day. Yeah, right. You got the wrong Texas Tech guy. Right, exactly. Um, okay, uh, actually, Scott, I lied. I did have one quick question about um, Steve Wilkes and what to expect from yeah. him in Cleveland. It's not a huge fantasy thing, but... Uh, you know, the Browns, their their offense, high-powered, just like Arizona, but it's kind of a little bit predicated on the defense, you know, staying off the field and letting them actually play. Um, Steve Wilkes did not have a great season in Arizona, but is he just like an, an excellent defensive coordinator who might give the Browns that extra boost on defense and, and be able to keep the Browns' offense on the field more than they should Well, be? I, I guess it all depends on the talent level. I mean, he made a huge mistake last year as a head coach when he changed the Cardinals' scheme from a 3-4 to a 4-3. He didn't have the personnel suited to play it. He basically neutered guys like Dayon Buchanan and Hassan Reddick by changing the scheme, which made no sense to anybody. So, you know, I have real reservations in Cleveland about what he'll do defensively. Now, look, if you have guys like Miles Garrett and others, it may not matter what scheme they run, but Steve Wilkes didn't prove anything to me here last year that would lead me to believe that Cleveland's going to have a great defense this year. But again, this year, excuse me. But again, it's more about talent than coaching. If they have great players playing well, then the scheme probably won't matter. Got it. All right, so I'm forgetting to know Scott Bordeaux. Uh, by the way, follow him on Twitter at S-B-O-R-D-O-W. Um, and if you want to check out his archive on The Athletic, uh, just go to any one of his articles and just click on his name and it'll take you to all the stuff he's written, a lot of the stuff we've talked about here. If you're a fantasy player, I'm telling you, I'm not saying this, but all oh, the athletic, you're already a subscriber. Just check it out. It's, it's really good stuff and good stuff for a fantasy player. Um, it's very insightful. Um, okay, so Scott, 10 questions just at the end, just to kind of get to know you a little better. Uh, number yeah. one, what's your favorite breakfast cereal? Oh, Captain Crunchberries, without a question. That, that's the only answer to that question. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, number two, related, do you eat your Pop-Tarts toasted or untoasted? I don't eat Pop-Tarts. <laughs> okay. Uh, number three, what kind of sneaker do you wear? I wear Hoka's because I have actual, not to get into specific, but I have a bone spur on my foot, and that's why I need a special kind of shoe. So I'm a Hoka sneaker guy. How about this uh, for number four? What kind of pen do you use? <laughs> Whatever pen I find in the Marriott hotel rooms I stay at. <laughs> Listen, you're like the third person to give that answer. <laughs> you know, all the sports writers are Marriott hounds. You you know that. Yeah, but I mean, well, you know, like Greg Allman, again, not to go back to Greg Allman, but he's like a very specific, like I, I have a very specific pen and I thought like people would use this, you know, the Pilot G2, everyone loves it. So it's it's kind of interesting. No, I take whatever I find in the hotel room. Uh, number five, um, what was your first fantasy experience like? What, what was your first league? How, how, did, how did that play out for you? I've actually been in an AL, can this be baseball or only football? Oh yeah, we love baseball here. I, I actually have been in an AL only rotisserie league for 32 years. It was a bunch of guys on my old paper, the East Valley Tribune. We started the league, and this season's our 32nd season. Wow. How's the team going this year? I don't ask. All right. Well, I did, right? Didn't we, didn't we exchange a couple slacks about that? 
Yeah, it's not, it hasn't been a good. I'm a much better fantasy football player than I am fantasy baseball player for some why for some reason. I'm not sure, but football I always do really well. Baseball I just suck as an owner. I, uh, it's you know it's I run out of time. That's my problem. It's it's just yeah. like yeah, especially right around now. If I'm in like sixth place, I'm just forget about it. It's I'm out. Right, I'm at, well, let's put it there. Ours is an 11 team league. I'm in ninth. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to the football draft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number six. Are you a are you a board game or a video game player? Um, more of a board game, backgammon. All right, nice. Uh, number seven, what's the best thing you cook? Oh, I, I make a mean homemade enchilada. Really? Yes. Nice. Uh, Black bean and mushroom or chicken, either one. Really? That sounds delicious, actually. Was oh, come on over. Next time I make it, I'll, I'll give you an invitation. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, number eight, uh, what's your favorite band? My favorite? Uh, well, it's not a band, but I'm a Billy Joel fanatic. So right. I don't know if you count him as a band, but he's my guy. Just saw him in concert here, at, and he was great. Uh, number nine, um, someone very cool has five hours to spend in your city. What do you tell them to do? Well, first, I could tell them to come here in winter because it's 113 today. Um, so, so don't come in the summer months. Five hours in, in, in the valley? Hmm. I pr- well, if you have time, you, go, you got to go up to – it's not the valley, but you have to go up to the Grand Canyon. So I'm going to cheat on this question and say if you have a half a day – Go up to the Grand Canyon. All right. And uh, number 10, uh, you're 15 years old again. Who's your celebrity crush? Farrah Fawcett. I had a poster on my wall like a lot of 15-year-old kids back then. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Well, Scott, uh, thank you very much. Uh, That was an excellent lightning round. But uh, more importantly, tremendous fantasy insight and just real football insight. Um, And uh, like the, the articles have really honestly been awesome to read. I wasn't just going around picking things out. Uh, like I've been, I've been reading and, and following, and it's just, it's going to be an awesome season for you, man. You're, you're definitely following an awesome team this year. Yeah, from a fantasy perspective, they will be. From a winning perspective, I'm not so sure about that, but I do appreciate the compliment. Thank you. <laughs> well, hey, uh, if you obviously enjoyed what you're listening to, check out Scott on Twitter at s b o r d o w. Read his stuff on the site, and uh, and Scott, uh, good luck, good luck with your fantasy league this season too. I appreciate it. You too. All right, thank you, man.